Welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. I'm your host, Lonnie Swain. I'm a media veteran, digital content creator, and strategist. My career has required many cross-country relocations from my hometown of New Orleans to Baltimore, St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, back to New Orleans, and now Miami, Florida. The purpose of this show is to remind you that everyone has to go through something to get somewhere. I lead personal and professional development conversations in hopes of inspiring you to live your best and most authentic lives. And just a reminder, I always love to know what you think about the podcast, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get into the show. All right, today's show, we have guest Minda Hartz. She is the founder and CEO of The Memo and an advocate for women of color in the workplace. She is also the author of the upcoming book, The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. She has conducted workshops and keynotes for Bloomberg, Google, Time Inc., South by Southwest, and the New York Public Library. She is also an adjunct assistant professor of public service at New York's Robert F. Wagner Graduate School of Public Service. Welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Thank you for having me, Lonnie. I'm excited to chat. Same here. And especially because you are a good friend, colleague of a favorite of the show, Miss Elena Valentine of Skill Scout. She always speaks so highly of you. So it's a pleasure to get to know more about you. Yes. Shout out to Elena. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So just to give us a background, what did you go to school for? What did you grow up thinking that you were going to be or who you would become as an adult? Wow, that's a really great question. And to be honest, I wasn't one of those kids that thought, oh, I'm going to grow up and become this. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to make a certain amount of money, right? Because uh, we're very (laughs) humble beginnings. And so I was thinking, what is going to allow me to help take my family from, you know, lower lower class to upper class. And so I, I was just trying to think in terms of that. And so when I entered yeah. college, I, I thought, oh, a dentist, right? You know, something in the mm-hmm. medical field would probably do that. And so um, doctors are lawyers. That's what we all yeah. started out thinking were the ways to go. <laughs> right. I was like, well, I, I really want to be a teacher, but I heard they don't make any money, you know, all of these mm-hmm. things. And I didn't, these are just all of my assumptions, right? I didn't have anybody that right. was saying I should do one thing or the other, but I thought dentistry. And so I started out pre-dental and then I realized that chemistry was a lot harder than I had intended it to be. And so I, I mm-hmm. went another path. <laughs> And long story short, ended up in a communications degree, which realized that I could do a lot of different things with a communications degree and then went on to get an MBA. But I figured it's got to help me do something. And then, you know, you just kind of see where the where the chips fall. Yeah. So what made you decide to get an MBA then? Did you think, okay, at that point, were you still not exactly sure what direction you were going to take it into? Or did you know definitively, okay, I'm going to get this MBA because this is going to help me to do X? I just thought I'd be better prepared, a better businesswoman. You know, I always saw myself just continuing to advance in my career. And I thought having uh, just some business acumen to be able to navigate my own career and help others, I figured would lend itself uh, to a better career overall. And if I did want to transition out of a calm industry that I could go into business. And so uh, just trying to think a couple of steps 
ahead. And so that's just mm-hmm. I, really no rhyme or reason. I wish that I did have one when I was doing mm-hmm. it. It just seemed like the, the thing that would help me move forward. Right. Because that's something that um, I've had that conversation a lot with different guests on the show if they've gone into entrepreneurship or specifically building a business from scratch and they maybe have this MBA. And I ask them, you know, do you feel that that has helped you? And if so, how? Because in this day and age, there are so many people who have successful businesses or maybe successful in whatever their industry is that have gone a traditional route and they maybe did go on to graduate school or higher education. But then there are people who are successful who didn't go the schooling route. So it's always interesting to me when people mention that they got a degree or got their graduate degree. Did they feel that it was necessary or has it paid off for them is always the question that I like to ask. So in your case, do you feel that it has helped you? And if so, how? Yes, absolutely. So at the time doing all of this stuff, I did not realize what I would use it for. Um, mm-hmm. But later in my career, 15 years later in my career, I ended up starting my own company. And so I was able to tap into a lot of the frameworks that I had learned. And I didn't realize I'd be able to use some of these principles, but it really mm-hmm. um, helped. Now, could I have started business without it? Obviously, people do that every day. But I felt better mm-hmm. equipped to kind of understand some of the business principles and financial pitfalls that tend to happen when you don't have certain business structures in place. And so it definitely has helped me be a better businesswoman running my company. Tell us about some of the things that you did in the communication space before starting your own business. So I was a consultant and I know that's such like a blanket term when you hear people say it, but I was a fundraising consultant. And so I would go on site to universities and colleges and different nonprofits and help them build out their endowment strategies for philanthropic efforts. And so uh, I used Mm -hmm. that communications degree to help influence others to sometimes you go to different colleges and universities and you see these buildings with people's names on it, you know, very affluent individuals who gave, you know, a hundred million dollars to put their name on the law. Right. So there's people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) people like me who facilitate those things. And so, um, being able to relationship build and, and essentially sell certain opportunities is what communications degree helped me do. And so who knew I never intended to go into that. I just kind of fell into it, but it's helped in so many different ways, for sure. Right. And so then now transitioning 15 years later to having your own business, what is the focus of your business? Yes. So I have a business now called The Memo. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, The Memo LLC. (laughs) And and being in my industry, I was often the only one uh, woman of color, a black woman in the room. And so I realized, Mm -hmm. wow, what am I going to do to help create more opportunities for women that look like me? And maybe that's uh, certain skills that we may need in our toolkits or just um, building out more of a network. And so I created the company, The Memo, to help prepare women of color for their seat at the table because sometimes we are placed at the table and we're really not sure what leading or what we should say or how we should use our influence. And I think it's important to be ready to secure that seat when you sit down and not just be grateful and thankful to sit there. And so that is 
what I started building my company on. From your experience, what do you see being the barrier to a lot of women having that seat in the table in the industry that you came from? Because like specifically, it's always so interesting for me because I would never know what that title was of the person that secures the money to put your name on the building at the university or, um, you know, just wondering, (laughs) is it, is it so much like access and exposure to even know like, Hey, this is an industry because I think so many times we're taught or introduced to professions like dentistry or, you know, just doctor lawyer, teacher, and so many people don't, or even nursing, I feel like is a very popular common one. And, you know, when you have old school parents who are like, you know, you need to get a stable job in the industry that stable is medical Mm -hmm. field or this or that. And so there are so many people who are not even privy to the options and the opportunities that do exist. And so they're just you know, kind of haphazardly going in the direction that they're being guided in or that they feel is most familiar. Do you think that that kind of plays into why there are so few women of color or black women at the table in that industry? Or do you think that there are other underlying reasons as well? That's a really great point. I think it's twofold. So yes, I think that it's one of those industries that you're just not aware of. Uh, mm-hmm. as an option. And so th- it's just a certain niche kind of field that you wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily think about. And so uh, I think that that is one of the reasons why I was often the only one in the room. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, um, I had I was given the opportunity to get into this field and I was fortunate uh, to, mm-hmm. to do so. And I think half of the battle is having the opportunity, right? And or knowing yeah. that it's available to you. And so I had the opportunity, but then had I not had that opportunity to secure that seat, if you look at the job descriptions for many people um, who would go after jobs like that, you need between, you know, seven to 10 years experience. And if you don't even mm. know that these things <laughs> exist or that you have right. been exposed to them, then it, it blocks some of us out of the yeah. world, right? You don't even know that it's a possibility. And so I think that there is some systemic issues in that because in those rooms, you're dealing with the top 1% of people with wealth in this country. And so there's only certain people that they want engaging with those people. Right. Right. So so there's some, some systemic issues even embedded in that, right. It took me a long time Mm -hmm. for them to feel comfortable with me making those deals, right. As opposed Mm -hmm. to playing like a support role. And so I think that there it's a twofold type of thing, Mm -hmm. uh, And I think that's probably common in many industries. Yeah, because to even get on that trajectory, you know, what are some of the steps are and and if you're not aware of that industry or if you don't have someone that's already sitting at the table, you know, how do you know what you need to be doing seven, 10 years in advance to prepare yourself to be in that position? You know, if you don't have someone that's guiding and mentoring you saying, hey, okay, you need to get this type of degree. You need to have this type of internship or fellowship experience or do these different things. And so I think that that's kind of going into the premise for your book, Secure the Seat and and Once We Get There. Is that accurate or am I making an assumption? That is accurate because once we get in the room, it's our duty or it's our responsibility, in my opinion, to let others know and bring people along with us. We might be the first one, but we don't have to be the only one or the last one. 
And so what do you think is a big part of that? If you could walk us through your process potentially of, you know, how you got the opportunity and what were some of the steps that you took to build those relationships to to get there? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when people ask me this question, I wish that I had like some like blueprint for how it happened, right? I just knew that mm-hmm. I was an ambitious young woman and I knew that I wanted mm-hmm. more out of my career and I didn't know what that looked like. There wasn't like some prototype for that. But when I found out about this opportunity, they were taking newly minted college graduates and training them in the way of consultancy. And so I just really happenstance to come across that. And looking at the job description, I had, it was something I'd never done before, but I, I bet on me. And I said, mm-hmm. you know what, a lot of these soft skills I think I bring to the table. I may not have some of these mm-hmm. other things that they're looking for, but if I can present myself in a way that I feel I can do this job, right? And that was basically what yeah. the mindset that I went in. So I put my resume in there and the rest was history. They took a chance on me too. And it was a class of a about seven of us that they took as new graduates and they put us through this rigorous, I guess, kind of institute to get us up and running to be able to go out in the field and and do this type of work. And so that was my exposure. And I was one of the top people in that cohort. And I just worked really hard. And even in that cohort, I was the only woman, only person of color in that class. And so um, it was one of those things where I'm like, this is an opportunity to make, you know, a lot of money to be exposed to a lot of things that I had not been exposed to before. So I saw it as a really great opportunity. And and through just kind of assessing the situation, I realized that a lot of what was taking place around me, even being in the room with some of these high net worth individuals, it was all about relationship building. And so I made it my Mm -hmm. business to be very good at building relationships and cultivating those relationships. And that was part of what positioned me to be able to be a part of different conversations and in various rooms. And I saw that some of my white counterparts were very good at this, right? And I thought, well, mm-hmm. I better learn how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, so, um, right. So it was just one of those things that I think has helped me in my career in various settings. Um, and it took a while to, as we say, secure our seat. I, I did get a seat at the table, but for so long, I was just happy to be there. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't think I had agency to speak on certain things or use my voice or expertise. Mm-hmm. And you that takes time. And I think that that's one of those things when you're the only one, you're sometimes just grateful to be in a space that you've never been before and having certain opportunities. You're like, okay, I don't want to rock this boat. That's the narrative that we're told. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. so it it took me a while to get to this point where I was like, you know what, I need to advocate on our behalf. And, and um, that's really the impetus for, for writing the book. There's a lot that I went through as being the only one. And I just didn't want any other women of color, black and brown women to feel like they're in isolation. Two things that you said that I wanted to speak to. The first thing being having the courage and the confidence to bet on yourself, to apply, even though you said, okay, I have these soft skills. Now, some of this experience or some of this, I might not have that, but I'm going to present myself as though I know I can do this. And I think that that is so important. And that's something that I myself have even struggled with in applying for opportunities and transitioning out of one industry to another. I know I have the soft skills, but when I see I might not have something else that they're looking for, I've let that discourage me from not even putting my name in the hat because I'm like, oh, well, I don't have this. And I think that especially as women, especially as women of color, I think that that is so paramount to have that confidence in ourselves. And one of the phrases that 
I love and and I love when people use it. It's like you got to have the confidence of a mediocre white man because they have some confidence that's like through the roof and Mm -hmm. they may not be qualified, but they have the confidence to put their name in the hat for it. And I really, really, really appreciate and respect and applaud that part because putting your name in the hat is the first step. And the second part being having the seat at the table, but not feeling like you had the agency to speak up. And uh, Gabrielle Union spoke at a conference that I attended and she was saying, you know, so often we just feel lucky and like, I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky as if someone is giving you something that you have not earned. It's not about being lucky. It's that you're qualified and you're worthy and you have earned your seat at the table. And so, yes, you do have the agency to speak up. And so what would you say if you had to kind of bullet point maybe the the top three things that you feel that you learn that you discuss in the book that are important for women to know in having that seat? As I'm reflecting on some of those opportunities, it really was, what do I have to lose? I have nothing mm-hmm. to lose, but potentially everything to gain, right? And there mm-hmm. is this sort of, even imposter syndrome, I remember having in the cohort, because some of those, even though everyone was somewhat newly out of college, many of them had internships that would lend them to be able to do this work, right? So I was coming in, and what I felt like was some kind of deficit uh, situation. Mm -hmm. But again, realizing that I have nothing to lose, (laughs) I'm going to have nothing to lose and potentially everything to gain. And, um, And I think we have to reframe, and I talk about this in the book, what success looks like. So reimagine what success like look like looks like and also take the glass ceiling off ourselves. And so sometimes mm-hmm. the narrative that we've been told is that you have to have everything perfect. You have to have all of these bullet points that the job description has. But how do we tell a story in which we can do this work and let them see what we have from a place of we're an asset instead of from this deficit place. And so for me the bullet point was okay what do I have to offer? I I bring a certain unique perspective, a certain slice of genius to this position, and I'm going to just bring myself to it, give it all I got. And if I put myself out there, then I've done everything I can do, right? And sometimes I think as women of color, we think we need to have all of our ducks in a row before we go after something. And it's right. to your point, um, it's just we have to shoot our shot. And I think mm-hmm. we have to just, reimagine what success could look like. And if we look at our counterparts, they don't check all the boxes, right? But they still go for it. And I think sometimes we get in our, we get in our own way because of what we've been told, just keep your head down, don't rock the boat and all those sorts of things. And when you're constantly fed that narrative, your, your confidence can be a little shaky, right? And so um, I think we have to just, again, take the glass ceiling and, and reframe the narrative of what people have said about us and allow us to to be what we want to be in the workplace. And so it's a lot in the mind to just kind of reshape what we've been told. And and I talk a lot about that because, again, there's all these statistics that are out there about women of color in the workplace. And I think that all of those things are true, right? The the numbers don't lie, but there's some of that self-advocacy that we could be implementing and making sure that we're quantifying our worth and speaking up and letting people know what we want. Absolutely. And so who is this book for? Well, it's a love letter written by me to women of color, but I also believe that this book 
is for all. And we talk a lot about the future of work. And in order for managers and leaders in the workplace to really create an equitable environment, you have to know what it is your diverse talent is going through, their experiences. And I feel like this Mm -hmm. book is for everyone. Much of the career books that are out there and business books is really written for from a white person's perspective. And so it's very Mm -hmm. rare that we get to read what it's like for women of color to experience the workplace. And in order Mm -hmm. for you to create a diverse and equitable, inclusive environment, you need to understand what many of us are going through so you can know how to help us, right? Right. (laughs) So I feel Mm -hmm. like this book isn't just for for black and brown women. It's really for anyone who cares about creating an equitable environment. I love that. What are some ways that people can not only support you and support the book? And I know that you do workshops and keynotes and things like that. Do you have any events that are coming up that people can attend or participate in? Thank you for for asking that question. Uh, The main thing, I guess, right now is truly the book is on pre-order and you can buy it wherever you like to buy your books. And so help me secure my seat, right? Help us create more of an equitable environment uh, in the workplace. So, and then if you have opportunities to bring in speakers to talk about various things from management to leadership and how to engage and manage diverse talent, then you can connect with me at mindahearts.com and I'd love to come in and and help your team. Awesome. And now before we wrap (laughs) up, I have... Lonnie's last five, five questions that I ask all of my guests. Ready? I'm ready. The first question is, what is your favorite act of self-care? Wow. You know, really, it is a good massage. <laughs> I mm, love a good yes. massage. Uh, <laughs> I, I belong to a subscription service uh, and every month they ping me like, it's time for your massage. And, and that's my that's my downtime. Yes. I love a good massage too. What is something you wish you were better at? I wish I was better at saying no. Uh, I'm one of those mm. people that really want to help everybody. And sometimes um, yeah. it, it's hard, right? You know that you want to help everybody, mm-hmm. but you just can't put your, you don't have octopus arms to help everyone. So I'm learning right. um, self-regulation. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a part of self-care too, saying no setting those right. boundaries. What is your definition of success? So my definition of success is a lyric that uh, is one of my favorite rap lyrics by Jay-Z. And he says, I rather die enormous than live dormant. And as long as I am mm-hmm. living each day to the fullest, then I- I'm good with that. That's, that is success. What is a quote or piece of advice that you live by? And that could kind of go for the last question too, maybe. Yeah. Um, you are your best advocate. And I think sometimes we're, we're afraid to be our best advocate. Yeah, that's another thing that's hard. In addition to saying no is advocating for ourselves and what we need. Want we got to be- get used to it. <laughs> Yes, because as you said, you are your best advocate. And if you don't do it for yourself, who's going to do it? Exactly. And the fifth and final question, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for being a seat creator, uh, creating a lot of seats for other women so then they in turn can create more seats and that a lot of the issues that we're talking about today, it'll be a domino effect and uh, we'll just see a sea of diversity and um, our voices will be heard but also respected. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Please visit my website, LonnieSwain.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, check out companion blog posts, show notes, and lots of other cool stuff. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Buzzsprout, CastBox, Anchor, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my website. I love and appreciate all of your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with at least three people who you think would enjoy it too or benefit from the information. Until next time, go where you are celebrated and appreciated, not just tolerated. Talk to you soon.